Welcome to episode 175 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. We are calling this one Comet Leonard and Other Objects to Observe in the December 2021 Night Sky. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So Shane, are you excited for uh, the Comet Leonard? <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, you know, I think when we recorded in January at the start of 2021, this was a comet that we talked about. Um, yeah. This was one that was on everybody's radar because it had a, uh, I guess, a bit of an estimate or a forecast that it could get really, really bright by year's end. Mm-hmm. Um, so ever since that uh, uh, was on the list, I, I was quite anxiously anticipating December. Um, but like we always say with these comets, they're highly erratic. Like it's really hard to know for sure how bright they'll get. Um, so I've always approached these types of comets with some reservation because I've gotten really excited in the past only to have it not meet the expected brightness. Um, but regardless, Leonard's looking pretty good right now. And, uh, there's an opportunity that this could maybe get naked eye, um, particularly under a dark sky. Yeah. Uh, Eric had written us about, uh, an image he, he saw that was taken by another observer, on the 24th of November, showing Comet Leonard and uh, NGC uh, 4631 and the whale, uh, NGC uh, 4656. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really in- inspired by this and, and excited to, to go out and try to start observing it. Because I think, I think at that time, it was uh, magnitude uh, 9.3. And I think uh, before the podcast, you were saying it's getting, getting in and around perhaps even magnitude 8 at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I see some plotters like plot graphs here and it looks like around magnitude eight, um, sky safari is saying magnitude seven, but seven, I yeah. don't, I don't know if that's really accurate or not, but, uh, I myself have not observed it yet. I haven't even tried. Um, you know, our weather here has not been very accommodating. You know, we've no. been under pretty much a nonstop cloud for the last seven or so days. I think our forecast is a little bit better this week, Chris. Yeah. Um, so I'm, thinking maybe a couple mornings. Uh, well, yeah, it's hard to say. Anyway, um, from now until the end of the year, I'll, I'll certainly be trying to get a few observations in of this comet to see what it looks like. Yeah. So originally we didn't really have too much in this episode uh, about comets because like we're saying, Shane, these uh, comets, comets in general are notoriously difficult to predict. Uh, and and currently this one uh, is still in many ways not all that bright because um, frequently throughout the year we'll see comets in sort of that eighth to ninth uh, magnitude range. I mean, uh, you know, I think that's fairly accurate to say. Yeah, like I think this year there was a couple at least where they got about that bright. Um, they're not, you know, they're not super, um, you know, it, it, if you think of the dictionary picture of a comet, those ones probably aren't it but they're still neat to observe and, and, you know, they can be targets to add to your list, but um, you're right. It, they're, they're somewhat common. Yeah. And so, you know, with this, this comic currently around eighth and ninth magnitude, I was thinking, you know, probably shouldn't put too much in here because then it builds in expectations. And then when Eric sent me um, his email and I was, I was kind of digging around a little bit more just to see what was being said uh, about the about the comet, I I came across. Um, there's a really good article um, on the Sky at Night magazine website, and uh, Sky at Night is a is a British magazine, and 
Um, one of the reasons why I often go to their website instead of other websites is that, well, it's a reputable source and they've been doing this for a long time. And uh, as well, they're at or about just a little bit north of our latitude. So I think they're at about 52 degrees north latitude, um, whereas we're um, just about 50 degrees north latitude here. So it's, it's generally uh, about the same latitude. So by looking at what they have in their finer charts um, can give us um, a really good indication of visibility of things, which, you know, um, you know, things might be more visible um, or sometimes less visible if they're five or six degrees further south, if observers are in a different location, um, like many of the other magazines sort of, uh, uh, you know, aim for. So anyhow, this this article um, mentioned in, in this very brief little bit about uh, what's called forward scattering. And so this forward scattering is why the comet might brighten up. And so I hadn't really seen this before. So Shane, when we talked about this before the show, typically comets that are eighth or ninth magnitude, well, I'll tell you, if it's eighth or ninth magnitude, um, you know, a comet can change or it can go through outburst, but those outbursts are hard to predict. And typically I'm thinking if a comet is around eighth or ninth magnitude, well, it's probably not going to get, or it might not get to naked eye visibility, it might get to binocular visibility, but I was thinking, you know, why, why do people think this one is going to brighten up? Had you ever heard of this forward scattering before? No, I wasn't aware of it. Um, you know, to be honest, when it comes to comets, um, it's really just, I, I've really just observed them. I, I didn't know about all the different classes or reasonings why they brighten, but this, this was interesting when you were explaining it to me. Yeah. So I hadn't really heard too much about it before. It sort of rang a, rang a very faint bell. And I remembered that um, 2006's Comet McNaught um, was a beneficiary of this forward scattering as well. If people recall, that one became spectacular. It was very close to the horizon. Um, I was actually uh, ill at the time. You had observed it, though. So what did you observe when you saw a comet McNaught? McNaught was phenomenal. Um, now, I think, well, I know that Southern Hemisphere folks had much better views, like it was much higher in the sky. And this comet really was probably close to like that dictionary picture of a comet, it had a, a real bright nucleus with a gigantic tail. It was huge. Um, I saw this a few times. It was our winter time. And um, oh gosh, it was really, really cold. Um, I want to say it was it was in the minus 25 to 35 degrees Celsius range. And and the one night, the best night that I had, there was even a bit of a breeze. Um, so I, it was, it was in the setting, like it was all in the horizon as the sun set during its brightest. And I just used uh, 10 by 50 binoculars on a tripod and the view was incredible. Um, those binos, I think had a seven and a half degree field of view. And I'm just trying to think, I believe, I think I could fit it all in if I remember correctly. But the other part of this was I was, I was seeing this in like twilight, like the sun was setting, it had not darkened and you could see all of this comet and tail, even though it wasn't like a, a black sky behind it entirely. It was just phenomenal that it was that bright, but it also made it such a unique observation because, you know, it was sort of in those, uh, sunset colors, you know, was, was in the background of the sky. It was, it was something else. Now with Comet McNaught, my, my recollection is it sort of came up from the South and then sort of was just visible at our horizon, just at uh, at evening dusk. 
and then uh, sort of quickly sank. This one is sort of doing the opposite. It's coming around in our morning sky. It's going to be very high. And then as it switches into the evening sky just before mid-month, then uh, that's when we're going to get our best views of it. But anyway, back to the forward scattering. So I, I looked it up. And so forward scattering is something that um, they've known about for, for some time. For, for a little while anyway, um, but it only has recently really been discovered um, or really been uh, investigated. So, um, you know, one of the one of the papers, well, the first paper I landed on was by Joseph Marcus, and it has a bit of a long title. It's called Forward Scattering Enhancement of Comet Brightness, Three Perspectives for C2010 Elenin as viewed from the Earth and the SOHO uh, Stereo A and Stereo B spacecraft. So that's actually all the title. And, uh, but in, in that, he talks about um, what it is. And there's, there's a few other papers um, that have been written. There's one that references Comet McNaught, and, and there's a couple others. I think there's some going back even into the, into the 80s. And it's sort of an effect that's sort of been bantered about for some time. But like a lot of um, these sort of enhancement effects, um, only uh, recently maybe have they realized um, their impact. And that's why they think that this comet is going to brighten. So what does it do? So forward scattering can make a backlit comet look much brighter as the dust and the ice crystals reflect sunlight. And that enhances the apparent brightness. So it's actually not brightening. So the comet actually won't brighten. It's just going to appear to brighten because of um, our geometry with the sun and the comet. So um, this apparent brightness is by scattering light towards the observer. Okay. And so it's been known about for the past couple of decades uh, fairly well, but it's only recently been discovered and sort of only recently, especially since McNaught sort of been factored into the visibility of comets sort of for the rest of us. Hmm. So is this more, um, uh, like it, it, are predictions then more accurate because this is easier to predict or, or the results are more likely to occur? Yeah, I think so. So this is okay. uh, now a known and studied effect and people can go. And I think that's probably a good paper to, to begin with. Yeah. Um, I did just sort of do um, an article search. I found that paper. I read the bit um, by Marcus. And then uh, I did go and look on uh, Wikipedia. That paper is also referenced there, but it actually doesn't take you uh, to the paper. The, the link is broken or whatever. So anyway, that's why I read out the whole bit. I think there's a, there's about four or five other papers that you kind of go and work through, but I think this is the most sort of recent one that kind of sort of locks it down a little bit. Well, if people kind of want to get into to the sciencey side of it, um, but, you know, really what it boils down to for us is that as that geometry lines up, so right now, even though the comet is only about eighth or ninth magnitude, whatever it is, um, it's when we get into that close sort of mid-month uh, geometry between the Earth, the comet, and the sun, that it's going to get this backlight scattering. So that's going to, or this forward scattering. So what happens is the light is going to pass through the comet from the sun on its way to us. And that's when it's going to be low on the horizon. If we think back to McNaught, low on the horizon, then that orientation was just right. Again, you mentioned in the winter, I don't know if that has something to do with the geometry or not, but at least for us, we're getting into the winter now. This is sort of really an early winter comet. Certainly feels like winter here. We've got snow on the ground. It's getting dark early. And so maybe that has something to do with the geometry, but definitely being low on the horizon creates that, um, that opportunity for that light to pass through the comet, really brighten it up as it gets into that uh, sort of uh, earth hugging orientation uh, with us. So I'm excited to see this. Yeah. Yeah. This is really cool. Um, it's a great opportunity. Again, comets are not uncommon, but bright comets can be somewhat rare. And um, not that this really should be taken as like set in stone, but 
this looks to be the brightest comet for about the next three years. Mm-hmm. Um, now, why that's not set in stone is is the erratic behavior of comets. You just never know. Some can flare up and brighten unexpectedly. Um, so maybe there is something that comes along our way that is brighter. But if Leonard gets up to magnitude four uh, territory, that's going to be uh, pretty special. So I think everybody should add this to their observing uh, list here for the next three or four weeks or five. Um, and, and, you know, every opportunity you have to look at it, you know, probably should. <laughs> yeah. So our best chances are going to be, and, and really the way to start looking at this is, um, as soon as possible on the 1st of December, it's going to be near, um, beta coma Berenices. We'll talk about that. And then it's going to be quickly heading South. It's going to head down in off Yucas. So we're going to, we're going to lose it in the morning sky. You're going to be getting up early. Uh, the best chances to see it are going to be that hour before uh, sunlight begins interfering with your dawn. Here, that means actually you can start observing it as late as about six o'clock in the morning because we're dark here until almost 7 a.m. And so you can get a full hour in. Shane, I think you're up at six. So even though you're not really an early morning astronomer, you can actually go out in your backyard and maybe start trying to uh, hunt this one up even. Um, for me, yeah, I'll probably be getting up at, uh, at 4.30 or 5 and actually driving out to a dark site and trying to see uh, if I can pick it up here starting next week. Um, and then as it moves down uh, in the morning sky, um, it should be brightening. But then around the, I think it's around the, uh, maybe the 11th and 12th, it flips over into the evening sky. So you would have to uh, be observing it very close to, to sunrise or the sun is definitely going to be impacting it um, in that uh, December, say 10th to, to 12th period of time in the morning. And, and you can actually uh, have the opportunity to see this comet um, just before sunrise, um, I think on the 11th, and then you can see it just after sunset on the 11th as well. So there is this sort of unique opportunity. You might get a couple of days around the 11th where you can actually observe the comet in both the morning and the evening sky. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. I could be wrong. I was just like watching the orbit and kind of flipping back and forth between morning and evening and just kind of the way the way that we are set. Now, that's not going to be for everybody, but just, just like where we are at 50 degrees north latitude. I think we get this... Uh, this interesting phenomenon, whether, whether we'll actually be able to see this or not, time will tell. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Really quick, any observing advice for looking at comets, either uh, naked eye, binoculars, dark skies, what's your advice, Shane? How can we best see these things? Well, um, number one, get your star chart so that you know where to look. Um, Mm -hmm. That will be essential, uh, whether you're doing naked eye or anything with optics. So know where to look. Um, use your planetarium software on your phone, or there's a lot of resources online that can help you with that. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two is, um, if you're going to try this naked eye, you definitely need uh, a dark sight. Like you're going to have to get away from light pollution. Um, and really it's not naked eye yet. Um, it's going to have to probably hit magnitude six before most people have a shot at it, naked eye. Mm -hmm. And even then it might need to be a little bit brighter. Um, so for now, if you're trying to get out, say in early December to see this thing, uh, you'll want, um, for sure binoculars and and maybe even a telescope right now. It's again, it's hard to say what the magnitude is. If it's around that eight to nine magnitude, for sure you need a telescope. Um, if it is seven to eight, like what, um, sky safari is saying, you might be able to see this with like some 10 by fifties or seven by fifties, something like that. Uh, like binoculars is what I'm talking about. 
Um, but yeah, um, if you do take a telescope, I would just probably bring like a wide field eyepiece. Um, it shouldn't require a whole lot of magnification to see this thing, um, depending on your aperture, I suppose. But, uh, I think even a, like a 60 millimeter telescope, uh, will pick this thing up if it's, uh, if it's out there and you're under, you know, somewhat decent sky. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, just to kind of highlight a couple of resources sort of for the more uh, advanced astronomers or people on a really good chart, you can go to skyhound.com. And under his comment section, um, you can actually uh, download uh, a printable sky chart that's going to really zoom in on those star fields, which is really going to help you out, especially at the start of this. And then uh, for those looking for more of a general interest um, overview of, of where to find the comet, uh, you can take a look at something like um, uh, the Sky at Night, uh, their webpage, Sky and Telescope is going to have some good information on there. And then, um, yeah, it's it's going to sort of be making its rounds uh, in, in the media as well, I'm sure, if, uh, if it begins to brighten up. Yeah. One other thing, Chris, I'd like to mention for a tip. Um, if you're somebody like me who does not like waking up super early in the morning for this stuff, um, and you're going to wait for the evening opportunity, what I would do, uh, or what I will be doing for sure is, um, in the next week or so on a clear night, uh, I'm going to, uh, go to a spot where I think will be, you know, a satisfactory location to observe this comet. Mm -hmm. Um, I will advance my planetarium software to about the middle of December to see where I need to look to find this comet. And then I will just do some sort of test observing, you know, from that location to see, first of all, can I get that constellation or can I get that area of the sky or is there, you know, something blocking my view? Um, but also just to familiarize myself with where this thing will be. Um, you know, again, with these comets, especially at sunset, you, you're going to have a short window to observe it. So you really don't want to be messing around trying to get oriented in the sky. You just want to be able to point your telescope at the right spot and begin observing. So a little bit of practice prior to that, you know, will, will help you out a lot when the comet's actually there. Yeah, no. And that's, that's a good point. Um, yeah, go, go find a good dark spot, um, and check it out during the day and make sure it's safe and, and that uh, nothing's going to be blocking your view to that. Uh, I guess in this case, it's going to be a southwestern region of the sky once we get to to mid-month. Um, yeah, and, and before that, of course, um, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to get up early in the morning and start tracking it as, it's make, as it makes its way across. So without further ado, let's talk about some of the other stuff to observe in the night sky as we go through uh, everything uh, sort of on a, on a day-to-day basis. Let's start on December 1st. Uh, so the first week of December is actually going to present the opportunity to see Uranus at about its brightest, which will be magnitude 5.7. And this would give you an opportunity to see it naked eye. So now it's going to be more in the evening sky, of course, um, but uh, maybe you're going to go out somewhere dark. And, and if you're staying over somewhere, you might be able to see Uranus naked eye and uh, and have, have that opportunity. Um, and also, as we get into that first part of December, that's when Comet Leonard is going to be passing very close to Beta Coma Berenices. So um, if we think about Coma Berenices, it forms just like basically a right angle um, has like two lines and uh, where those two lines meet uh, right at that right angle, the comet is just going to be a few degrees to the northeast off of uh, off of that star, which is Beta Coma Berenices. So that would be a good time, I think, for people to start um, looking for this comet because uh, even if it's just magnitude eight, you should be able to pick it up in a telescope or a decent sized binoculars, I think, from a dark side. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Start early and and get as many observations in as you can. 
And then on December 3rd, we have the opportunity to take a look at the moon and Mars as they pair up in the morning sky. And it's actually an occultation in areas of the Earth, like central Russia, China, and Japan and Hawaii. And I know we have uh, people who are observing and listening to our podcast in Japan. And uh, yeah, so that's a a good opportunity um, for you folks there. So on the 7th, uh, now... When 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 uh, we received an email today, uh, somebody was talking about um, the comet pairing up with deep sky objects, and so it had paired up with the Whale Galaxy. Um, so I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's going to pair up with anything else that's interesting. So on the third, that's when we get our really first interesting pairing of Comet Leonard and a very bright deep sky object, which is Messier three. So I think it's within. Um, a couple degrees of Messi three on December 3rd. So on the third, uh, that comet is forecast to be about seventh magnitude, even on a conservative estimate. So I think that's when um, our alignment starts to starts to be uh, giving us that, that brightening. And I think the comet just in general is, is getting close enough to actually give us some of that brightening as well. So a seventh magnitude comet definitely brings in range of binoculars and Messi three is a binocular globular cluster that we can see um, from a from a reasonably dark sky. So Shane, I think that would probably be uh, a really interesting photograph for people to try to capture uh, the comet and the globular cluster on that night. Yeah, yeah, that would be super cool. Um, I've never photographed a comet before, so I'm not sure. Um, you know, I'm not sure what you need to do there entirely, but. Um, you know, I think you probably will want some longer exposure. I'm not sure how long. And and I think a tracking mount would certainly help there too. Yeah, I would imagine, I would imagine this would be like at least a, a, a few minutes uh, of, of exposure for, for somebody to capture. Although now the way that uh, the images are taken where people do a lot of stacking and that sort of thing, um, I'm sure those that, that would be able to capture this are going to have the skills to do it. And they, they can find that information out elsewhere. On December 4th, the new moon, um, is actually going to create a total solar eclipse down in the Antarctic coast. So it's pretty uh, pretty remote and uh, and far off lands, but uh, there is going to be a solar eclipse on the 4th of uh, December. I would be very shocked if any of our listeners are within the uh, ring of fire. <laughs> you're, you're not flying down to see that one, Chris? No, I would love to go to Antarctica someday. And I once I... I yeah, me too. I did seriously start looking at it at one point uh, years ago, and the, the the logistics of it are really uh, quite challenging, more so than one could ever imagine. It, it in fact, it's it's easier now to get a ticket to space um, than just to go to Antarctica, and that's no joke. Yeah, yeah, um, I looked into it too, and and you know the cost, like if you get to the you know southern south uh, South America, uh, even the cost from there is is quite prohibitive for me. So yeah. Yeah, the cost. Yeah, it's like I said, it's it's uh, it's it might be cheaper and easier to get to space these days, which is is almost um, astounding to think that it's easier to go to space than it is to get to certain parts of our of our own world. So, um, also on December fourth, Venus it is at its greatest illumination. So we'll see it almost as well as as large an illuminated disk as we'll get. Still, like a bit uh, gibbous. Um, however, um, that that's the greatest extent. And now it's very difficult to see much on the cloud deck of Venus, but uh, I've certainly found that I can see 
some inklings of shading in the clouds and certainly blunted horns and, and other interesting phenomena where the, uh, where the dark and the light areas meet, especially in the polar region. Shane, I don't know if you're going to be doing any Venus observing here in the next few days, but uh, I think this, this is now getting to an interesting point in the uh, Venusian orbit. If I can get any observing in, uh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting quite uh, uh, like cabin fever setting in with all of the cloud we've had. I, I really haven't been able to observe. So yeah, if it's clear, I'll take a look at anything. Yeah. And it's in the, it's sort of high in the, in the South uh, Western part of the sky. And it's actually getting fairly high for us because of course it's uh, dark pretty early these nights. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you can get that telescope on it just, uh, just, just about, I think four thirty or so almost. So, um, you know, uh, it presents a, a better opportunity than I actually thought it was going to be uh, earlier on this year when I saw it was going to be uh, making a good apparition uh, this December. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to get a little telescope on there. And especially as, uh, as we're getting into observing the comet, the comet and Venus are going to get pretty close. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, December 5th, the uh, Gegenschein is going to be quite visible that uh, sort of uh, first full week uh, of, uh, of December. Um, people can go back and see our episode or listen to our episode with Dave Chapman from, I don't know if it was released at the end of July or the beginning of August. We did an episode with Dave Chapman on observing the Gegenschein. Yeah. I don't remember the date, but, uh, Dave really does an awesome job to explain it and, and really takes you through a really interesting observation that he had of it and, uh, was kind of, was perplexed what it was at first and then did some research to, uh, to learn about it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a neat, it's a neat thing to observe and, uh, you'll need some dark skies for it if you want to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tried to look it up there really quick, but, uh, couldn't quite find anything out there. So yeah, maybe you can just look it up really quick and see if you can figure out which episode it was. That would be awesome. Okey All right. Dokey. December 6th, the comet, uh, might be approaching magnitude six and a half, or maybe even getting closer to magnitude six. I'm kind of taking, um, somewhat of a, of a middle of the road, as far as uh, the estimates go. Some of the estimates seem a little bit brighter than we think. Um, some of them are saying it's, it's actually still fainter than what it is at present. So I'm just cutting it down the middle and saying, um, my, my estimate might be way off, but I'm saying by December 6th, magnitude 6.5 Comet Leonard is going to be in the same wide field binocular view as Arcturus. So if you think about the kite of Boots the Herdsman, uh, Arcturus is the brightest star in the bottom of that. You can also find Arcturus by arcing to Arcturus from the handle of the Big Dipper. You sort of follow that same sort of arc from the handle and you go, I think about uh, 35 or 40 degrees from the tip of the handle uh, down in that same general area. And that will find bright Arcturus. It'll be high in the, um, in the sky and Comet Leonard. Um, you'll need a reasonably wide field binocular to get the comet and Arcturus in the same field of view. Uh, I put it at about uh, six degrees away. My binoculars are about nine degrees. So um, yeah, I, I anticipate being able to get Arcturus and the comet from a dark site in the same uh, binocular field uh, that night. And I think uh, sort of the end of that first um, full week of Earth. I guess around the 7th of 6th or 7th of uh, December is when we're saying that it starts to become a binocular uh, target for people. All right. Well, let me Go just ahead. pause you there, Chris. Um, yeah. If anybody's interested in the Gegenschein episode, it's 136 when Dave Chapman uh, joined us. Perfect. 
episode 136 if people want to know more about the Gaganchine. All right, December 7th, Venus pairs with the crescent moon. I think here in Canada, we're looking at about a three or three and a half degree uh, separation, but I know in other places it gets closer than two degrees. Um, so the Venus and the crescent moon at closer than two degrees for some people. Um, I didn't put down where though. I just, I just know that it does get that close when I ran my simulation. And, uh, so that would be in the same field of view in, uh, small telescopes with low power wide field, uh, optics, but even for us at three and a half degrees, um, I can get three and a half degrees in my hundred millimeter telescope and I get about, uh, I think about five degrees or, or six in my 60 millimeters. So I might go at that night and, uh, and try to try to get that pairing of Venus and the crescent moon. And then the crescent moon moves on over the next few days to pair up with Saturn and Jupiter. And each time they get as close as about four degrees. Um, and then some other, other areas you might see it as, as a little bit closer, but basically that week of the seventh, eighth, ninth, and even the 10th, you get the moon uh, pairing up with uh, several of the planets. Um, let's see. So on the 11th, the first quarter moon is going to display that lunar X. And so that's an opportunity for people to take a look at that. It's going to be at 1230 universal time. So whatever time that is for you, like for us, we have to subtract six hours. So uh, if it's if it's at 12 hours universal time, I'm not sure if that I think that's going to place it in the morning sky or at, at 630 in the morning here. And I don't think um, the first quarter moon is visible in the morning here. So uh, maybe later on that day, you might just, just catch a glimpse of, uh, of Werner. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to see the lunar X from here, but other people in other places might be able to capture the lunar X. So just look for it around that 1230 universal time. Shane, you talked about meteor showers, December 14th. We have um, the, the great Geminid meteor shower, which is, which is often the, the peak. Um, we have a little bit of a moon um, in the field of view right now, but uh how can people see the Gemini meteor shower? Um, so this one, any meteor shower, in fact, do not use any optics. Um, the best thing you can use is your eyeballs. And what we recommend, number one, get to a dark site. Uh, number two, bring a comfy chair. And then number three, dress warm or bring a sleeping bag. Because if you're just sitting in a chair at night, uh, you're probably going to get a little chilly. So you want to stay comfortable. And with a meteor shower, um, essentially just look at the sky and you're going to see them. Now, the Geminid meteor shower, um, you know, the, the um, meteors that you see will originate sort of from the constellation of Gemini. So um, you can look in that general direction, but really, as long as you're looking up, you're going to see meteors. And uh, this is usually one of the top showers of the year. Um, so it's a, it's a fun one to observe if you, if you can. And if you go out that night, uh, if you go out a little bit earlier now, the best time to see um, the uh, the meteor shower is typically in in the morning or after after midnight, um, and that would be a good time. So so because the moon is going to be in the evening sky, um, I would say get up early on the morning of the of the fourteenth. And uh, but if but if you are up late, if you're up in the evening of the uh, of the fourteenth. Go and take a look at the moon with your binoculars and just almost straight above the moon, you're going to see a, uh, a little uh, star, but that star is not a star. It's Uranus. So Uranus is going to be about three or three and a half degrees, just right above the moon uh, that night. You should be able to see it maybe as a turquoisey star if you have a little telescope. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah. On the 16th, we get this, um, I'm calling it the, the comet and planetary lineup you get. Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, and Comet Leonard 
all in a row. I hadn't seen this anywhere else. So oh, wow. people may be hearing it here first because I was just running it to see what the comet um, was going to be passing by and any kind of interesting mm-hmm. alignments. And I, I saw that it makes this really pretty, um, you know, line with Jupiter, Saturn, uh, Venus, and the comet um, on, on the night of the 16th. So by the 16th, it's definitely in the evening sky. That's definitely after it's transitioned over to basically an evening sky only uh, object. And uh, that's when they're saying, um, you know, it's going to be in and around um, fourth magnitude. So it's very close to the horizon. As you can see, Shane, I think it's only uh, three or four degrees up, but just like with uh, you know, Comet McNaught there um, 15 years ago, maybe we'll get uh, get this this enhanced view of it because of the uh, forward scattering. We're going to have to watch it to find out, see what happens. Yeah. It, if Leonard turns into a, a real nice comet, that will be an incredible photo that night to get, you know, three planets and a comet all in the same frame. Yeah. That would be uh, truly a, a spectacular sight if it does uh, if it does brighten. And mm-hmm. even still, even if it's not that bright, you might still be able to get it like in a small telescope or binoculars or something like that, and actually be able to view uh, three planets and the uh, and the comet right there all together. Yep, absolutely. Now, as as the comet moves along, it's going to actually hug that sort of uh, southwestern horizon. It's going to pass. Um, you know, sort of from west to to east, right below Venus, um, but actually gets really close to Venus. So Venus right now is about like 66, 67 uh, million kilometers or million miles away from us. Um, but that comet Leonard is going to get within, is actually a little bit closer than 2.7 million miles from Venus on December 18th. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when I was reading that, uh, that Sky at Night article, they actually sort of uh, mentioned that as as well. They said it was uh, like 0.03 astronomical units. So kind of, you know, um, sort of basing some of this off of uh, off of that article. But uh, people can go read that for themselves. But I kind of dug into it a little bit deeper and I ran all my simulations. And you can actually tweet out some of these photos uh, that I made in, uh, in my own software, uh, Shane. That would be awesome if you could put this one of the alignment out on the 16th because I didn't, didn't see that in any of the articles that I read online. On December 19th, we have the full moon. On December 21st, here in Canada anyway, we have the winter solstice. I think it's actually December 20th for other locations in the world. Uh, Really? Okay. Something like that. (laughs) And then December 27th, we have the last quarter moon. And on December 29th and 31st or 231st, we have Venus and Mercury paired up in the evening sky. So that well, that's a good way to end it. Yeah. The month anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then for those who are, uh, who are looking for a shadow transit, well, you got to go to Russia, but you can see a, uh, a shadow transit on Jupiter uh, on the 30th to end your year. But for those of us who, who aren't um, heading over to, to Russia to, to look for shadow transits, you can see, uh, you know, Venus and Mercury as, as sort of your last sites. And I don't, I don't know where the comet is by that point, but I think, uh, I think it actually does, um, I think it starts to go below our horizon here at some point in time. So really for the comet, for Comet Leonard, the big event is going to be to start watching it very early in December. And by the 6th of December, when it's uh, going by Arcturus, that's when it might become a binocular object. And then as it gets really close to the horizon, starting around like the 11th or so of December, that's probably when it's going to start to be at its brightest at around that fourth magnitude. Um, and then by the 16th, as it, uh, as it sort of traverses below Venus, 
um, that's probably your best window to see it is, you know, as, as far as its brightness will go um, from that uh, 11th or so to about the 16th of December. And then sort of later on in the month, like I said, I think it eventually uh, gets really close to the horizon for us. Anyway, it might become more difficult to see. So we'll just have to see what happens and we'll update our podcast accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see this thing. And I'm also excited to hear about any observing reports that people may have of the comet. Um, it'll be real. It'll be a real fun event for everybody. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, well, Shane, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, sort of wrapping up, do you have anything to add to our episode this month? No, sir. That is all. All right. So we're giving away, uh, an RASC observers calendar. We need to get your observations in by the end of, uh, the day, I think on the, on the 7th of, uh, of December, we sort of cut, cut it off there. Um, if people want, they can send us their observing emails and clearly state that you want to enter our calendar draw to actual astronomy at gmail.com. And also, uh, you know, if you want, please subscribe in your podcasting software. Thanks so much. And thanks Shane and everybody else for uh, listening to us today. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.